Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. We, we have this perception of more in our culture that is um, um, very misguided. In fact, a 2012 Pew Research Center survey um, asked that very question. What would you like more of? What do you want more of? Um, any guesses what the top answer was? Money, I would have thought money too. Money was number two. Number one, time. More time. Number two was money. Number three was fun. More fun. Um, well, in this passage in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 here this morning, none of those three are mentioned, by the way, uh, that we need more of. But um, I think what we'll see today, we'll glean hopefully some things from the Lord and from His Spirit about the fact of where our focus needs to be more on and more of. Let's read together these verses in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 12. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you on how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this manner no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject human being, but God the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, dear friends, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, this phrase more and more appears twice in this passage. It is about distinct things. Let's look and see. First of all, <clears throat> more and more really means more faith. That's what he begins to talk about in verses 1 and 2. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God. In fact, back up into, uh, into <clears throat> chapter 1, um, he, he talks about this message and the model Ringing true in verses 7 and 8. Uh, you know that we lived among you for your sake. Be imitators of the Lord, um, that, their, that their faith may grow. Uh, over in chapter 3, verse 6, T- but Timothy just now has come from us, or come from you, and brought us good news about your faith and about your love. Those, these are two things he's talking about here in, in chapter 4. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 8 of chapter 3. For now we, re- we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord, your faith is holding strong in essence. And he's saying here, you need to do that more and more. There needs to be more and more faith. They had, the Thessalonians, of course, as we saw in chapter 2, had faced some adversity. Culturally in their city, they'd, they'd faced some adversity. 
And Paul wanted to make sure it was having the desired result in their life. In essence, adversity is the result in, of adversity in our life and in their life should be that our faith increases, that our faith grows through, through adversity. Um, it often has a polarizing result in most people's lives. Adversity, hardship, suffering, those kind of things either pushes people further away from God often or closer to him. They, most, most folks never remain neutral when a hard time comes. They're either going to grab a hold of the Lord more, more strongly or push away from him saying, where are you at? Why can't you fix this? I thought walking with you was supposed to be you know, a life of blessing and ease and all those things. Um, so I guess the first question today is, is has it, and you probably have had faith, have faced, have, don't try this at home. I'm a professional speaker. So it really takes a great gift to learn to stutter this well. Um, adversity's desired effect, if, if adversity's desired effect is faith, <clears throat> has what's happened in your life, the adverse situations in your life, increased your faith or weakened it? Only you can answer that question. But Paul says here the desired result is that it increased more and more that the sense of walking through a hard place would build greater and greater and greater and greater faith. Um, Here's the truth. The greater faith we have, the less adversity affects us. Yet, we need adversity to build our faith. It's the faith builder. It's the great faith builder. So without adversity, we don't know where our faith stands. We don't know whether we can can weather the storm or not until it comes. So without it, our faith can't grow. Yet with it, adversity affects us less and less. Why? Because we've been seasoned by it. We've been seasoned by adversity and it's grown and developed our faith and our root system in him. Secondly, not only more faith, but what he's speaking to here in, in, about more and more is in verses 3 through 8 is, is more purity. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. This word sanctified means to be set apart, to be pure, to be purified, to be in essence made holy. Um, we're called, as he's saying here in these verses, to live lives free of sexual immorality. If that's true, then why is our culture so sexually driven? Why is it driven by so much sexual imagery? You can, and I I went back to YouTube uh, this week and pulled up some early commercials in the 60s. And even some commercials in the 60s, I mean, it's nothing compared to a Hardy's commercial for in our, in our day and time, for example. Nothing, nothing on that scale. But even in the 60s, cars were being advertised by girls with very little clothes on. Now, they had more clothes on than girls have clothes on today on the TV. But compared to the 60s of how ladies dressed, it was, the imagery was already starting just as television was, was having a, a burgeoning effect in our society. And, and, of course, it was in black and white about, as, as about all TV was then. But um, the imagery had even started, to, the visual imagery had started to sell this idea that sex moves products, sex, sex moves services. Um, and it's, I guess the desire has always been there. In fact, he's writing about it to the Thessalonians, Thessalonian church. The desire was in, in their hearts for uh, sexual immorality. And so it's, it's, it's nothing new for us, but um, now the supply sources are everywhere. I think the demand has always been there, but the sources of supply now are far greater than anybody could have, could have ever imagined years ago. I don't, I don't know that, that TV is the evil sin, that I, and, and I'm not suggesting this that you go home and get rid of all your TVs or, or throw all your computers away because computers are a source of it too. But it's what we allow. It's the filtration in our mind of what we allow and what we ignore or what we absorb uh, oftentimes in the things we watch and the things we allow into our homes and into our family or into our families. 
Is he saying here that sex is a bad thing? Absolutely not. He's saying sexual immorality is a bad thing. In essence, sex outside the bond of marriage. In marriage, it's a beautiful thing. In fact, go to Song of Solomon and see what he says. Read Song of Solomon. See what he says about our, our, our desire for each other and our desire for our mate, how that ought to be lived out uh, from a sexual standpoint. He, he, he says it's a great thing, but inside the context of marriage. And so how we've distorted it is, is that we've watered down sex outside of marriage in our culture now to where you're almost a prude if, you, if, you have, if you've saved yourself for marriage or if, you, if you're a virgin when you enter marriage. I mean, it's looked like you're looked at on as some kind of freak you know, in our culture anymore when that used to be the norm. Um, it's not anymore. We, we are a, a sexually pervasive society, and, and uh, we've, we've paid the price for allowing some of that to come into our culture. But since that is the enemy's most effective weapon, and I really believe it is, um, I believe greed probably is number two. But I believe number one, his most number one effective weapon is, is the, the desire for, for sexual encounters, sexual activity, that we, we be sexually pleased. I think he uses that in our culture to a greater degree than anything else. And because that's true, or if you agree that it's true, then how important is it that the generation behind you be guarded? How important is it that the generation behind you be protected? How, is it that, how, how important is it that the generation behind us and, and generations behind us have some sense of filter built in that's taught, not just to assume you get, not just to assume that, that, well, go watch PBS. It's pretty clean. Well, some things aren't being on PBS aren't pretty clean either. So there, there's got to be an intentional filtration system built into the, to the, to the culture behind us, to the generation behind us, or they will absorb the very things the culture is selling. And so if, that's, if that tide is to ever be shifted and never be turned, it's, it's because we will put guards in place and, and, and to protect. Uh, and in fact, it isn't enough anymore, I don't think, just to, to turn it off or to filtrate or to, to filter what comes into our homes um, I think we need to be intentional as parents, as grandparents, as, as leaders. We need to be intentional in talking to our kids about what's appropriate and what's not. If we assume they're going to get that from our, from our culture, they'll get something from our culture, but they're not going to get anything in our culture that looks like this. So we've got to be intentional, not only just in fil- filtering the things that we allow into their minds, but intentional about talking about what's real. Um, I vividly remember uh, um, uh, when Hannah, our oldest, was about... Three years old or so, we were. I was. We were, we were watching a program at home. I don't even remember the program, but probably Falcon Crest or something. It was on. It was on at night, and so there were two people, um, a man and woman. They were just hugging and kissing. They were. They were both clothed and, and everything. So it, it was nothing promiscuous necessarily going on, or, or we would have changed the channel or turned it off one or the other. But anyway, she's sitting there looking at that, and her head kind of cocks to the side. And she looks over at me and walks over to, I'm sitting in a recliner, walks over to me. She said, Dad, are they sexing? And I said, are they what? She said, are they sexing? Them. And I said, no, honey, they're not sexing, they're kissing. Oh, okay. I said, but if you ever want to know anything about sex, I'm the person to come to because I know more than anybody you've ever heard of about sex. I'm the expert on it. It hurt those little, you know, three little, Three-year-old brown eyes look up and say, okay. And just kind of moves on and goes playing about her business as if, as if you know, that's life. And if I ever want to know that, I'll, I'll ask Dad and he'll tell me the truth about it. There's, there needs to be some sense of intentionality in our culture because we can't assume they're going to get it on their own. We can't assume that even if they're in church and even if they're exposed to God's word on a consistent basis that they're going to get it. 
Leanne and I were talking last night about the frustrations that are in, in the teaching profession now. Uh, how, how teachers are so bombarded with so much bureaucracy and so many things they've got to do anymore. And, and so there's, there's increasing pressure, both politically and otherwise, financially even, increasing pressure on, on teachers so that if their students underperform, they're doing a bad job, whether they're a good teacher or not. And our, our conversation about that yesterday was the missing equation in this is if we want the students to do better, we've got we to gotta create better situations in the homes they're coming from. They've got to come from two-parent homes who actually care, who are invest, who are, who are already pouring into life for their kids before they ever enter school. And so if a kid don't come to school with a sense of, of stability of home in their home life, we can't expect the teacher to be their parent. That's what we've come to expect now. And a teacher's job is to teach, not to necessarily be a parent, although some are doing that on the side and doing a very good job at it. But it creates additional pressures and, and additional uh, instabilities on our culture to absorb the fact that homes are breaking and we're ignoring it. And we're, th- we're saying to the educational system, fix our, fix our cultural structure. Put our cultural structure back in place. It's not the education system's job to do that. never has been, never should be. What needs to be fixed is the homes that these kids are coming from. And that's where you and I as believers need to penetrate our culture, not only with the gospel, but with some sense of standard to say, this isn't acceptable in our culture. In fact, if, you're, if this is a direction that, that, our, our, that your kid's going, that, our, that I don't want my kid to go, either in school or otherwise, then we should expect nothing less than, than mediocrity or, or nothing less than a kid growing up with a sense that sexual immorality is okay or what they see is, is okay to tolerate. Until our, our, the situation in our homes change and, and parents actually uh, you know, pull on their big boy and big girl panties instead of being their, their kid's friend, be their kid's parent, and, and filter some things in the home and be intentional about saying what is appropriate and what's not, that situation is not going to change. Um, but there is a need, he's saying here, for more and more purity. And boy, the further our culture goes, the harder the purity becomes. That's why if it doesn't happen in the home, it's probably not going to happen anywhere. So uh, we need more and more faith, more and more purity. Thirdly, verses 9 and 10 speak to the fact that we need more and more love. Look at what he says there. About your love for one another, you do not need uh, we do not need to write to you, for yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. In fact, you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, dear friends, watch this, to do so more and more. Well, the human desire for sex, as we talked about just a minute ago, is really a desire for love. It's really a desire to be loved and to be cared about and to be, to be, uh, to matter, more or less, um, Johnny Lee, his 1980 song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places, hit the nail on the head because we do that. I mean, our culture looks for love here. We look for love in a relationship. We look for love in a job. We look for love in a toy. We look for love in a home. We look for love in a car. We look for love in all the wrong places. And sadly, sex has become a substitute for love, and it's been equated with love, and, and the two oftentimes couldn't be further apart. But what he's saying here in verses 9 and 10 is loving well, loving well, um, is at the core of all of us. And the, and the better we get at it, the Paul, Paul was onto something here with this idea of more and more because what he says, if you do this more and more, if you love well more and more, you'll be loved well more and more. And if you love well and you're loved well, you're going to understand more and more about love. If we don't love others well and we aren't loved well, 
then our understanding of love is going to be very skewed and very uh, probably misdefined by our culture. Um, so loving well and being loved well ties together with this idea of, of more and more that he's talking about in these verses. Um, there's a great book by Dr. Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. I've, as I've counseled with couples over the years, I've encouraged them, in fact, almost required them to read that book. The, he, there was a follow-up to Five Love Languages called The Five Love Languages of Children, and, and uh, I think that's a great book for any parent to read to see how to love their kid better. If you tell your kid, if you tell your kid consistently that, that they're loved and words of affirmation is not their love language, then guess what? They don't think they're loved. If quality time is their love language, you can tell them you love them all you want to. You know what says love to them? Sit down and spend some time with them or going someplace and hanging out with them or doing something with them. So learning to, learning to see and read and speak uh, the love languages of those of in, our, in our family are, are of great importance. And he's pointing to that here. Here's the real, <clears throat> the real kicker with these verses about love. Wives, do you want to protect your husbands from their eye going to sexual immorality, love them well. Husbands, do you want to protect your wives from them seeing the things that matter from the things that don't? Love them well. Moms and dads, do you want to protect your children from having a false impression of, of getting into sex early as a kid or starting to experiment with things they don't need to, need to be experimenting with on an early, far too early basis? Love them well. The, the key to homes making it and homes working is keeping each other's love tank full. And if we don't understand how to speak that and listen for it and interact that way, uh, he's saying this, this whole idea of more and more is, is really a sound idea. The more we love effectively, the more we're loved and the more we understand love. The less we do that, the less we understand it and the less we get it. And the, and the more others around us will go searching for it in some other venue, some other place, by some other person keeping each other's love tank full of valuable importance. More faith, more purity, more love, and finally, more influence. Look at verses 11 and 12. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. What is he saying here are the keys to respect and influence. Two things, anonymity, working keep, you know, leading a quiet life. The second thing is focus. Focus on your world, focus on your work. Keep your mind on your own business and on the, on the work of your hands. So this idea of anonymity and focus being the keys to influence, being the keys to respect, goes totally against our culture. Our culture thinks influence has to do with fame, has to do with being known, has to do with, with some level of notoriety. And he's saying in the scripture here that if we really want people to pay attention to our life, we really want to, to have influence in other people's lives, that that really centers around anonymity and focus. It centers around leading a quiet life, working with our hands, keeping our, our mind and, on, and, and our, our energies on our own situation. Um, the 60s was called the me generation. It's the generation that really came of age in the sense of of a lot of immorality and a lot of promiscuity, but it's not that immorality and promiscuity wasn't around before the 60s. It was just hidden <laughs> a lot better than before the 60s. And in the 60s, those kind of things came out in the open a whole lot more. Um, I would say if they're the me generation, then the generation of the 80s and 90s, people born in that generation, 
I would call the esteemed generation. So that if they're not esteemed, their life isn't going very well. In fact, that's the generation that has created and perpetuates social media. That generation has and does. What does that tell you? It tells you that they get value and, the, and that there's, there's this, this sense of influence and this sense of respect is by being known, having some sense of, of connection with others around us, regardless of how deep or how thin that is. Um, does that look like these two verses? I can't, find, I can't find anything at all resembling that in these two verses. In fact, <clears throat> my mind's eye, as I was studying this, I feel like the Holy Spirit kind of took me in this direction this week. As I was studying this, I imagined this, this esteemed generation and many of us as well probably who, who have followed after, uh, well-intended. And, and this is not a, please don't hear, it's not an indictment on Facebook. I mean, our church uses Facebook to try and influence and reach. So it's not the, the tool that's evil, it's how we use the tools. Um, but I imagined others, uh, myself, others, uh, a great cloud of witnesses, as the Scripture describes, standing around the beam of judgment, around the judgment seat of Christ, where Christians will be judged for their, their works. And, you know, Jesus asking the question <clears throat> of me or of anybody else, did you bring anybody with you? Anybody here because of you? And hearing answers like, but I had 20,000 Facebook friends. Yeah, that's great. But is anybody here because of you? But, but my, my reach, my, the, the, my influence, my people knew. Look at how many people knew. Who, yeah, I'll, 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 that's great. But is anybody here because of you? Staggering question. And I wonder, I wonder, in the, I wonder if the esteemed generation really even cares about the answer to that question. Or even cares to ask it of themselves. Or if we even care to ask it of ourselves. Um, there, is, there is a great deal to this thing of influence. And, and if, we'll, if we'll follow his, his plan and his principles, as I said a moment ago, that looks nothing like our culture. Nothing like our culture. Our culture says anonymity is, is not desirable. Our culture says minding your own business and working with your hands, focusing on your own life and the things you do in your own your own world is that's that's totally of no value. You need your your what you do and the results of your life and your relationships and your efforts need to need to be shared with everybody else. And I'm not saying that's evil in and of itself, but he's saying here that respect and influence come out of leading a quiet life, minding my own business and working with my hands. Doesn't look like our culture at all. Uh, yet is is this a formula for influence and it's a formula for for respect. It absolutely is. And if we put these things in place, God will use our influence in an incredible way. Yet we, we head down our own cultural path expecting God to bless our own influence. And so he doesn't work that way. He's, uh, he's not into more and more as we see more and more. Um, well, by observation here is in, in these verses, our, our more and more c- culture is heading in a, in a more and more wrong direction. And who better than the church, who better than you and I who call ourselves believers to not only raise a flag to that, but begin to try and turn it and begin to try and change the concept. Or the more pertinent question is, are we headed there with them? Are we headed toward more and more with a more and more culture? Have we bought into this concept and these ideas? Well, here's four observations as we close that I want to leave with you that are Sobering to me, and I, I think and hope will be sobering to you. One is, we need more faith. Because more faith 
takes more stands. Somebody with more faith will take more stands more willingly and more openly than a person without great faith. He's saying in these verses here, that as, as we read, we need that more and more. Your faith needs to be increased more and more. And as we saw in the previous chapter, they went through an incredible amount of adversity to increase their faith. So should we let others in, let, our, let others around us, around our world, in on our adversity? Absolutely. Should we let them see that it hurts us and there's pain? Absolutely. Why? Because if they can't get into our world, they'll never see our walk. And if we want them to see our walk, in the, in the middle of adversity of, of us hanging on to, to Jesus with all that we've got, we've got to let them into our adversity, let them into our world. And that's hard to do. It, 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 we, 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 need, we have to live with a greater sense of authenticity, a greater sense of transparency than most of us are willing to live with. Uh, there's a tenacity to a person who has more faith because they're willing to take more stands. They're willing to, to even stand by themselves is necessary. More purity, though, guards more minds. Just as more faith takes more stands, more purity guards more minds willingly and diligently. More purity sees the, the incremental influence of sexual immorality in our culture and, a, and, a, and of everything else that that leads to. Do you realize, uh, I looked up some statistics on this this past week, just in America alone, just in the United States alone, the sex business is $300 billion with a B. Billion dollars. The, the 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 trade of of, uh, of of the sex business and the sex traffic and how it works in our culture would take a great hit if you and I would value purity more. If you and I would value guarding not only the minds that are in our homes but the minds that are in our classrooms, and the minds that are in our spheres of influence, and the minds that are in our neighborhoods, if we'd take a, take a greater stand for purity and guarding some of those minds against some of those kinds of things in our own minds as well as a part of that. I think we'd begin to see some change and start to make a dent in that $300 billion number. Thirdly, more love simply looks more like Jesus. If I were to, to explain or try and give you a picture of the epitome of love, it would have nothing to do with romance. It would have nothing to do with, with what you, how, how our culture describes love. It would even have nothing to do with with. Uh, uh, Willingly giving and loving on someone else that doesn't deserve it or whatever. It would have everything to do with looking, well, look, looking like the life of Christ. Now, the greatest picture of his love for us is the picture of the cross. That's why a lost culture absolutely disdains the, the, the picture of the cross. They don't get it. They don't understand. I, I, I was sharing this past week in small group about <clears throat> um, some snippets that I heard from a conversation that Pierce Morgan and his wife had with... Um, um, with Rick and, and, and Rick Warren and his wife. Uh, as you know, or many of you probably know, Rick Warren lost his son who had mental illness uh, in, in the last several months or within the last year. And this conversation was about losing a son to mental illness. And the excerpts I heard from this interview uh, left a lot to be desired. I, I have a great deal of respect for Rick Warren and very little respect for Piers Morgan, but <clears throat> I thought, I, man, I, that's disappointing. So... Leanne and I were flipping through channels and saw Pierce Morgan. And she said, see who's on there. So I scrolled down, saw so who was on there. It was a replay of, of Rick Warren, <clears throat> his interview. <clears throat> and we just called about the last 10 or 15 minutes of it. But, man, he drove the gospel home. As a, as a, um, well, my conversation went back to, to small group, and I thought, 
That doesn't sound like the Rick Warren I know, but the Rick Warren I saw uh, in the interview really drove the gospel home and, and, and was, was very faithful to say, you know, here's, here's what love looks like. Love looks like Jesus. And it's impossible to, to, for, for our, the death of our son to have any greater impact than people coming to Christ. And people come to Christ, all that has been worth it. And, and, and our, our own loss and our own suffering and our own inability to handle it and do, do much of anything productive with it will, will be worth it all. Um, and that's, that's in essence what he's talking about here in verses 9 and 10. As we love and love and love more, we start to look more like Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, there's, there's no husband that wouldn't love to be married to Jesus. There's no wife that wouldn't love to be married to Jesus. There's no parents that wouldn't want their, their kids to look like Jesus. As the, the, the greater sense of love we have, the more we look like him, the more selfless we become, uh, and the more we, we look like him. Finally, um, more influence leads to more people. <laughs> it's a simple concept, but it's true. The greater our influence, the greater the ripple effect of our lives. The greater the, 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 greater the, 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 the conversations we have, the, the results of those conversations mattering, being about something that matters and meaning. Because really when you boil down to it, and we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, most people's lives either boil down to possessions or people. And we have influence, whether we like it or not, positively or negatively for the kingdom. What are we doing with that influence? And what he's saying here in this, in, in this passage in chapter 4 is the greater influence is not more me. It's less me. The less me there is, leading a quiet life, sticking to my own, my own business, my own hands, the less me there is, he says, the greater influence grows out of that. Boy, that looks nothing like our culture. And in fact, much of Scripture looks nothing about our culture, like our culture at all. But he's saying... If we'll follow in, these, in these, these areas of more faith, more purity, more love, and more influence, we'll experience a life of more that looks nothing like what more would be defined in our culture. Yet we'll experience more of him in, in greater ways than we ever have known before. And I, I guess as we close today, my challenge to you is this, is, is are you like me or do you have greater difficulty in the more culture that's, in the more that's defined by our culture, do you have greater difficulty even seeing the more of Jesus that he wants us to see there of himself? And um, we need to position ourselves for that. We need to position ourselves around his word and around folks uh, in church and around church and around folks that want those same things. Why? Because we're doing battle against a culture that's heading in an opposite direction every day we're there. And so we need the encouragement of each other. We need the challenge and the strength and the, and, 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 and the, and the increased faith and the increased purity and the increased love <clears throat> and the increased influence that we get from each other. We're, it's desi- we're designed to, 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 to sharpen each other, to challenge each other, to love each other, to encourage each other, and we need each other. Uh, it's impossible to, to live in a more-centered, me-centered culture and be more-centered, less me-centered that the Scripture speaks to without each other. Because without some help and encouragement and prayer and uh, somebody joining us on the journey and and sharing some of the hardships and and those kinds of things, we feel alone um, because we often are alone in our culture. And so we need the strength that the body provides for each other. And so I encourage us to seek that today. I I feel like I've done a really inadequate job of, of showing you some things from 1 Thessalonians 4 today, but I hope your takeaway is this. 
Um, if God really wants to use my life to impact other people's lives, there's going to have to be more him and less me. More him, less me. Doesn't look like our culture. And I hope as I stand before him in that, that mental picture that I communicated with you earlier, um, and as he asked me the question to say, are there anybody here beside, you know, that's because of you? And I can say, yeah, he is, she is, they are, this family is, this guy is, this friend in high school is, this, as opposed to, look at all my friends on Facebook. Look at the influence. No, is anybody here because of you? And that's, that's really the, the desire of my heart. I hope that's the desire of your heart to stand before him one day and say, was I known or did I make him known? That's simple. Um, and well, that's, it. that's becoming an ever-increasing battle in our culture. And I hope, I hope as you, you and I are willing to, to do battle in that, in that kind of setting day to day, um, that we'll, we'll follow his example and not our cultures and how to get there. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.